So I remember when I was a missionary on the ship, the Logos Hope, and I remember that our days off were like gold. They were extremely valuable, extre extremely precious. And, uh, and I remember more than once hiding away in my cabin on my day off, um, reeling from the week that I had just had as the personnel manager on the ship of 400 people from 60 countries. It was crazy. And then as I was hiding away in my cabin, hoping for some peace, uh, then I'd get a phone call from the front, front desk um, to let me know that the local guy that I'd met yesterday was downstairs at the gangway waiting for me, um, wanting the tour that I'd let him know he could have. And so at that moment where I, 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 was, I was really torn and there has never been a moment more where I've wanted to say, where I've, not, where I've wanted to hide away and to say I'm not available. And so, the, you know, so the question at that moment in time was, do I engage or do I retreat? Do I engage with, with this ministry opportunity? Um, or do I retreat and hide away and everything within me? Because I think naturally I'm, an, I'm more of an introvert who's kind of learnt how to be a pastor, which is lots of public stuff. But I think naturally um, I like to be on my own. And so I wanted to hide away. And I'm sure that you felt a tension like that as well. Should I engage or should I retreat? What's the right thing to do? Should I engage or should I retreat? You see, if we don't engage enough, if we don't have enough healthy stress in our lives, then we rust out, right? We, we become rusty. You know, we're lying there, nothing's really happening. We rust out if we don't have enough good, healthy stress in our lives. But if we don't, if we don't retreat, um, if we don't have, if we have way too much stress, then we, then we can actually burn out. So rest out or burn out, retreat or engage. And so really what I've learned, um, you know, as a, as a follower of Christ is that we need to live in this zone in this healthy zone, somewhere in between retreating and engaging um, so that uh, we can avoid either burning out on the one hand or rusting out on the other hand. And, you know, as I l look at you now, not knowing what's happening in your lives or in your hearts, but right now you're heading towards either burning out or rusting out, most of you, Okay. It's either one or the other. And the reason is because most of us aren't really very good at knowing how to balance these. Uh, we, you know, we either go one way or the other. Now, when we look at the Bible, someone once said, and there's a song about it actually by this great band, and they, and, and they wrote and they sang that, that the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Okay, B-I-B-L-E basic instructions before leaving earth. And, and even though, yeah, the Bible is God's main way of showing us who he is, it's also an instruction book. It's a how-to book. And, you know, in fact, we, we could rename it Living Life, maybe for dummies. You know, that's what this is all about. 
And so when we're faced with life and we don't know how to respond, a really good and wise thing for us to do is not just limp through or work through it using our own resources, but a really good and wise thing for us to do is actually, is actually to get into the pages of the Bible and look at it and see what it says to us. You see, if you want to fix a computer, you read a computer manual. If you want to find out what that funny noise is under your vehicle's hood, under the bonnet, then you consult a mechanic friend of yours. And so in the same way, if you want to know how to navigate through life as a created human being, then it makes perfect sense for you to go back to the manufacturer's instructions, which is what is there in the Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Everyone say that together. Basic instructions before leaving earth. One more time. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. We're, we're working through our series uh, on the servant king, working through the book on, on Mark. And uh, we're now in Mark chapter 6, looking at verse 30. And I'd like to say once again thank you to Nathan for preaching a, a wonderful sermon while I was away on a pretty tough passage. So uh, that was excellent. Mark chapter 6 verse 30 says this. Mark 6:30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there, there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, verse 30 says this says that the, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, this is referring back to what just happened uh, where he sent them out on their first ministry team expedition together. Okay, so that happened earlier on, and now they've returned, and he's hearing what happened. And it's worth noticing that Jesus does not give these instructions, or, or what he then gives, these instructions later on in this passage, he doesn't give these instructions in the middle of a retreat complete with spa package and hot rocks and evening entertainment. He shares these instructions that we'll read in verse 32 shortly in the middle of a sweaty, hot crowd. Now, now I just got back from Wales. Uh, I was there to celebrate my mum's 60th. And when I got back, Wendy and the girls were there in the airport ready for me to return. And now, when I walked out, you know, out of the customs area into where they were, they did not wait in line, really politely, waiting to ask me how my trip was. That's not what happened. What happened, as I'm sure you can imagine, was, Dad, I just had a ballet class last night, and I wrote you a song. Dad, I wrote you a song. Do you want to hear it? And um, 
We were just at the beach, Dad. We were just at the beach. And on and on. Dad, 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 dad. This happened, okay? Because that's life. And so, so I can imagine that when Jesus was talking with all the apostles, that something like that might have happened. Um, all wanting to be heard because they just experienced amazing, amazing things that, you know, you know um, that they never thought they would experience in their own lives. And so they wanted Jesus to hear. And so what I'd like to say to you is that if you ever feel rather grimy with the stress of life and the noise and the chirping of folks around you, if you've ever had that, that, that noise and the buzz of pressure in your head and you're wondering, how do I handle this? If you've ever felt the overwhelming urge to shout, would you just shut up for a minute? I'm trying to think. And if you've not just thought about saying that, but if you've actually said that, then I hope that these words that we hear from Christ himself um, become something that you can fold up, you can stick in your back pocket, and you can have them there ready to pull out when you most need them. That, that these become words for you to live, li live with. Basic instructions before le leaving earth. So here's, here's a bit of the background is that, is that earlier in chapter 6 or 5, Jesus was just rejected by those closest to him. Are you there, Cody? Okay, I'm, I'm just hearing a bit of a, a thump. Can you maybe have a look at it, Carl? Thanks. Uh, so so he, he was just at, at his hometown and he was rejected. So I would imagine that because Jesus is 100% human, he was probably feeling quite sad and rejected at that moment. And then we have all his friends who return from this trip, and they're all psyched, and they're excited, and, you know, it's just really good news. And so I would also imagine that they're exhausted and that they're ready just to keel over and to fall down where they stand. And we also have to throw into this, as we heard from Nathan a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus is closest friend, ministry partner, was just horribly executed. And so if you add that into the mix, I wonder how they would have been feeling there in the midst of the crowd here in Mark chapter 6 verse 30. And so maybe you're in one of these seasons right now as well, well uh, right now as well, where you feel a little bit frayed around the edges and uh, you are giving out, and you are giving out, and you're not really receiving. You're feeling hollow. Verse 31 says this, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. And so in the midst of this reunion, this crowd is there, like I've already mentioned. Uh, I, you know, Mark like I've been reading so far, as I read through Mark, I just think this crowd is always there. There's, Jesus is never there without a crowd. And so there again, you know, is this crowd. And so I can imagine that Jesus was listening to Andrew's report from his missions trip. So this is Andrew. Rabbi, it was amazing. I've never seen anything like it before. So what happened, Andrew, says Jesus, English Jesus. And then Andrew replies, oh, there was this big hairy bloke, and he was going absolutely mental, like totally screaming at us. And then in comes this interrupter that happens to be Welsh. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Excuse me, Rabbi. 
but could you see to my daughter? Her leg is broken, and she's been hobbling around, and I'm not really sure what to do. I, I'm really sorry to bother you. And Jesus said, sure. Hold on a second. Andrew, hold that thought. I'm going to be back with you in a minute. A, a few minutes pass. Jesus comes back. Okay, all good. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah, you were talking about this hairy bloke that was on the floor, and he was uh, screaming. Oh, yeah, Jesus, it was absolutely fantastic. He was all convulsing on the floor and screaming. It was crazy. Uh, Rabbi, excuse me, but my dad is blind. If you could just pop over here for a minute and sort him out, that would be marvelous. Sure, I'll be over there. Okay, Andrew, hold that thought. I really do want to hear the rest of the story. It probably looked like something out of Faulty Towers. Chaos, havoc, noise. Now, in a moment, we're, we're going to hear Jesus inviting his followers to rest at the end of verse 31. Now, remember a few chapters ago that Jesus said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, here we have Jesus showing his followers what Sabbath rest looks like, what kingdom rest looks like. He's, he's really fleshing it out there in the midst of the trenches, shoulder to shoulder with them. And for us to understand what kingdom rest looks like, we need to actually turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28, where, where we see what kingdom rest looks like. And these are the words of the Lord again. He says, it's come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so what we find out from Matthew chapter 11 is that kingdom rest is being yoked to Jesus himself. It's not sitting down and doing nothing. That's not rest. It's not retiring and somehow maybe convincing ourselves that we're, you know, we've actually put in our time and now it's me time. That's not what kingdom rest is. True rest is not checking ourselves out of responsibility. True rest is being yoked to Jesus himself. It's working alongside him. Now, in the in translation called The Message, Matthew 11, verse 28 says, says um, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Work with me and walk with me. Watch how I do it. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. I'll show you how I do it. And so what Jesus is saying here is that, is that taking a real rest is working with him and walking with him. Because it's only as we're working alongside Jesus Christ, doing things that he actually values, that he counts as important and worthwhile. It's only as we're doing the work of God that we're invited into the rest of God. And so my question for you is, are you living for him? Is your life about him? And, and that's not to say, are you a missionary or are you working in full-time ministry? All I mean is, are you living every day for him? Are you mindful every day of his call on your life? Simply put, are you engaging life in the power of Christ? Are you engaging life in the power of Christ? Because, because Jesus does not invite us to rest as we are vegging out, flicking through you know, the TV channels. And he doesn't invite us to rest either as we're super busy building our own kingdoms. It's only as we're engaging life with the power of Jesus, yoked to him, 
that he invites us to rest with him. You know, I, I, you know, and this makes sense because if, if, if you're at work, it's not the CEO down the road who tells you when you can take your lunch break. It's your own line manager, right? And so if, if we are Christ's and Christ is our line manager, Christ is our CEO, then it's he who tells us when we can take our lunch break, when we can take our rest. This is what it's like in the kingdom of the servant king. It's only as we're living for Jesus that he can say to us, okay, it's break time. It's only as we're living for Christ that, that, that we can hear what we read in verse 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so my question for you is, are you living in a way that you are ready to receive this wonderful offer from Christ himself? Are you concerned about the things of Christ or just the things of this world? Because what I know for sure is that if you are Christ's, that there is kingdom work with your name on it. Without a shadow of a doubt, there is kingdom work that is being earmarked for you that won't happen unless you do it. So there's no one who's exempt. And what if that kingdom work is right in front of you and you never even realized it? You see, the way to find out what this kingdom work is, is simply to start living for Christ. So really, all this means is keep doing what you are doing every day, day in, day out, normal, week after week, month after month, year after year, but start doing it for him, thinking about him. And if you, you, know, and if you do this mental shift, it will transform your, your life. You will start doing your job for Jesus and not the paycheck. You will start raising your, 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 your kids for him. You, you will start investing your money for him and making financial calls for him. This is how you start inviting Jesus into every part of, uh, of your life. And, and what were separate sectors suddenly become united in him. It all, it's, it's all about him, him at the center. And so if you don't know where to start, if you don't know what the opportunities are, then you don't need to look further than what's happening here at Cornerstone. I really mean this. Because what I want Cornerstone to be is a launch pad for work of the kingdom. What I want is for this church to be like a doorway that folks from the outside can look through and say, that's what the kingdom of the servant king looks like. That's what I want us to be. That's why we have Momentum Youth and our Boys Lego Club and the Girls Craft Club. That's why we have the Mummy and Me Cafe, that's, that's, you know, you know, that's why we do what we do, so that we can make a doorway that people can look through and say, that's what the kingdom of the servant king looks like. And so, and so I want you to look at your lives and to ask yourself, am I doing God's work? Not, am I busy? Not, is my margin small? But am I yoked with Christ? Am I doing what he's called me to, what he's put me on earth for? Because like we've heard, you know, we, we need more team members in Lego Club, in Girls Club, in Momentum Youth. We had 37 teens here on Sunday, and we were just legal because we asked another adult to stay behind so that we could legally have youth. I don't want to be in that place, you know. We had 37 teens, most who would never hear, hear the message of the gospel outside of this church. So it's like super exciting, but we need more folks 
who were yoked with, 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 with Christ and serving him here. Because it's as you are holding open that door, saying to others, this is what the kingdom of the servant king looks like. It's at that moment that you can claim this wonderful promise of Christ that you can come away with him by yourself to a quiet place and you can get some rest. And that's what his friends did in Mark chapter 6. And so I can, you know, really see Christ kind of moving around from them in the midst of the crowd saying, saying, okay, Peter, you and the others, you need to come away with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. And then he would have gone up to James and to John and to Philip and to Bartholomew and to Matthew and to Thomas and to James, you know, and to Simon and to Thaddeus and to Judas. And each time he would have said to them, Hey, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And, and it, you know, and in the midst of that crowd, I could imagine them saying, okay, Jesus, what, right now? You're asking us to leave now and to come away with you now? And then he would, you know, this isn't in the Bible. This is my imagination. But I imagine him with a bit of a mischievous look in his eyes saying, yep, right now, let's go. Lord, there's so much work to do. Look at all of the people who need you, who need healing, who need a touch. And then I can hear Jesus saying, I know, it feels kind of naughty, doesn't it? But let's do it anyways. And anyways, they're going to be here when we get back, right? And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Verse 32. And so in the midst of the confusion of the crowd, the disciples and Jesus play hooky, and they get in the boat, and they get out of there. And so they have the feel of the wind in their hair, and the sound of the, of the sail snapping in the breeze, and, and there's this deep sigh of relief as, as the disciples look at each other as they look at Christ and think, okay, good, we're with Jesus now. This is what the doctor ordered. And then the noise of the crowd gets quieter and quieter until it's just a murmur, and then you hear nothing except for the seagulls and the carefree laugh of the disciples and Jesus as they start sharing their stories. But really, these men aren't playing hooky, okay? It's not like they are skipping school or work. They're actually learning a super, super important lesson at this moment in time, and this is the lesson that they are learning. They are learning this, that the followers of Jesus cannot live a life of repeatedly engaging, engaging, and engaging without taking time to retreat with Christ. So, so, so that they can live a life of health and focus and vitality, they also need periods of retreat. They know that this is how Jesus lives his life. They've seen him head off into the desert for, you know, sometimes weeks at a time. They've seen him wake up in the morning early and spend time with his father, and now he's bringing them along with him. Now, you see, earlier in chapter 6, verse 7, we see Jesus um, as he empowers them to serve and to do what, 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 what he's calling them to do. And so after, after empowering them for ministry, his very next lesson is, let me show you how to retreat. Okay, this is how to do ministry. This is how to engage. Now, now I'll show you how to retreat. That's how important retreat is. And so life, it's a series of, of engage, retreat, engage, retreat, engage, retreat, engage, retreat, over and over again. Re engage in his power. 
retreat in his presence, engage in his power, retreat in, his, in Jesus' presence. And that's really what life is. Life as a Christian is a series of engaging in the power of Christ and retreating in the presence of Christ. And there are too many of us uh, who are working outside of our optimum. That, you, know, you know, there are some of us who are rusting out through laziness, while many of us are burning out from workaholism. That there are many of us who are slaves to the tyranny of the urgent. So we run around like headless chickens. And if someone was to stop us and say, okay, what are you doing it for? Well, maybe we might have a knee-jerk answer. We'd say something like, well, I'm doing this in order to pay the bills, put food on the table, you know, meet the rent, ready myself for retirement. And then for some others of us, you, you, know, you, you might say, if you were totally honest, you say, well, I'm doing it for the approval of the Instagram world, or I'm doing it to meet the needs of my, my family. Um, and then for some of us, silencing the voices of rejection and, 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 and those voices that say we are a failure, that's the reason why we are working. You know, we are super, super busy. Because silencing this voice of rejection and failure becomes an, an, an end in itself. But if we were pressed and forced to really dig deeper and to come up with an ultimate answer for the reason that we are doing what we are doing, we would probably be quite stumped. We'd be in a bit of an existential crisis, which is maybe why we are super busy in the first place, because then we, then we don't have the time to look into that whole of purpose and meaning and find out that actually we don't have any. You see, it's only Jesus who can grant this wonderful blessing of real meaning. It's only living yoked with him, working alongside him. And it's in the context of that ultimate purpose that we are granted this wonderful blessing of fully formed rest. But there are many of us who don't know what kingdom rest looks like, this rest of coming away with Jesus by ourselves to a quiet place. Many of us are like a, a phone that, you know, that we charge for 15 minutes at a time, and it's always at that 3% level. It's never off, but it's only just scraping by. And, and we are one hard moment in life away from being at zero. And, you know, the reason why is because we never plug into Jesus. And so our battery level is low. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. But somehow we have convinced ourselves that we are the exception to this rule, this law. We don't have to come away with him by ourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's for those needy people. That's not for me. Okay, I'm able to handle life. Verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, as I read this, I feel sympathy for Jesus and the disciples. They have done all that they can do to escape the crowd. They have left, they've you know, found a boat, they've launched out on this boat, and they're looking forward to this much-needed R&R. But as they pull up 
onto the other shore. They realize that the crowd that they left has walked around the shore of the lake and is there waiting for them when they arrive. And Jesus, because he's Jesus and this is how he is, he loves the crowd. And I love this because it's at this moment that, that we start to see that those who are disciples and those who are in the crowd are, not, are, are more similar than we thought. Okay, think about this. In verse 31, it says, it says that Jesus, um, Jesus, Jesus l- looked after his close friends and the disciples because they were lo- running low on energy following him. And so he calls them away so that he can refuel them. And now in verse 34, what he did for his close followers, he's also doing for the crowd. He has compassion on the crowd. And, and what this shows me is that whether you're someone who's been following Jesus for years or you're really just walking around the, you know, the shore, lake, the lake shore, kind of wondering if he is who he says he is, is that Jesus has compassion on you in the same way that he has compassion on someone who's been faithfully following him for years. And verse 33 tells us that Jesus viewed the crowd as shepherdless sheep. Okay, sheep without a shepherd. They needed a shepherd. They needed someone who would lead them. They needed to be part of a flock, of a community. And so he does exactly what he did earlier with those close followers of him. He starts to teach them many things. Now, we aren't told told by Mark exactly what Jesus taught them, but we can be assured that Jesus, as the good shepherd, knew exactly what these little lambs needed. He gave them a new worldview. He gave them the kingdom of the servant king. Now, Hebrews 4, verse 11, you know, as we wrap up, says this. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest. Hebrews 4, 11 says, let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest. Now, now I don't want to get into Hebrews 4 right now, but, but, but know that Hebrews 4 is about that moment when, when Jesus' kingdom comes in its fullness and that with it comes this wonderful idea of rest forever and ever, rest from sin, rest from struggle, rest from our brokenness. And, but why I mention Hebrews 4 verse 11 right now is that it raises this seeming, se- seeming maybe contradiction that we must make every effort to enter into rest. Okay, it seems kind of strange, it seems rather counterintuitive that we have to make every effort to enter into rest. Shouldn't you just fall back on the couch and that's rest? No, it says make every effort to enter into the rest because kingdom rest is not like a comfy couch that we fall into at the end of a busy day. Kingdom rest is something intentional that we do, that we choose, that we aim for consistently over and over again. Kingdom rest is something that we have to put our effort and work into attaining. We can't stumble into kingdom rest. We need to choose kingdom rest. And here's what I think is that because we're not doing kingdom work, in the way that God calls us to, that we're not experiencing kingdom rest. It's because we're operating outside of the owner's manual, because we're not following these basic instructions before leaving earth. And here's the thing, here's where it gets real, is that because we're not experiencing kingdom rest, we substitute it with pale substitutes. We, We replace true kingdom rest with maybe vegging out, or we replace 
true, true kingdom rest with flopping on the couch at the end of the day, or we replace kingdom rest with hours of screen time or surfing the internet, or we've replaced kingdom rest with workaholism. And so, so since we're not eating at the banquet of kingdom rest, which is so good and so nutritious and so tasty and so yummy, but because we're not doing that, we're hungry. And when we're hungry, we'll eat anything. And so we scrabble around on the floor for scraps. And we've somehow convinced ourselves that this is okay. This is what living looks like. And meanwhile, our battery is at that 3% three, th- 3% mark. And this has to change, you know, for your soul's sake, for my soul's sake, this has to, this, this has to change. And it is able to change. It is able to change. That's what I want you to, to hear me saying, is that this is able to change. And so my challenge to you, and if I can ask our ushers to uh, hand out these things, I have two challenges for you, okay? And uh, I'm not going to ask you to quit your job, start volunteering full-time, um, or to leave and to go into the mission field. That's not what I'm asking. W- what I am going to do is ask you to do two things, and if you haven't written anything else down, I'd encourage you to write this down or to read it. Um, and number one is this. Write down on a post-it note or place a reminder on your phone with these words. I'm going to live life with Christ. I'm going to live life with Christ. And so when you wake up in the morning, you know, it's the name of, uh, uh, of your alarm. Yeah, you can hand them out. Okay, I'm going to live life with Christ. And then, and then you can do what you would normally do. You can eat your breakfast. You, you can go to work you, work. you can make sure your kids are dressed. But, but, but you can do it with this image that you're yoked with Christ with this knowledge that he's right there with you. So as you head to work, you know that Christ is with you riding shotgun. As you're there waiting outside the school for your kids, Christ is there with you. As you do the laundry, Christ is there with you. I'm going to do life with, with him. And so, and, and when you do this, note the signs of his grace with you. Um, maybe it's something someone says or, or something that you read or a song that you hear or, or, or um, you know, who knows. But, but just note how Christ is speaking his grace into your life as you do it yoked with him, your normal life yoked with him. And then at the end of the day, maybe take a few moments to look at the day and think what was good, what was not, what gave you joy. What did you regret? Read a psalm. Have a conversation with him. Just really reflect on the day and then sleep. So that's the first challenge is to to do life with Christ. And then the second thing I would ask you to do is to look at your calendar. And if you're married, look at it with your spouse. If you're single, then look at it with Jesus, who's right next to you because you're living yoked with him, right? And over this next month, what I want to ask you to do is to book off at least three hours where you can get away with Jesus by yourself, you know, in a quiet place. Maybe it's a whole day, if so, awesome. Maybe it's only three hours, but, but what I'd ask you to do is at least three hours, a morning or an afternoon, just you and Christ, head into nature, head into the Gatineaus, head out on a long drive, 
maybe have a coffee in a coffee shop, uh, maybe go fishing, maybe go down to Westport, you know, to Foley Mountain, or you know, or to go for a bike ride. Um, take that time away with Christ by yourself. You see, Jesus doesn't waste his words. He doesn't say something that he thinks sounds vaguely spiritual and something that maybe a rabbi would say. No, Jesus has given us a formula here, which is to come away with him, which means that he wants you. And he says to come away by yourself, which means he wants you alone. And then he says, come away with me by yourself to a quiet place. He wants you away from all the distractions and what that might mean, perish the thought, is putting your phone onto airplane mode, okay, or leaving it at home. You know, because you don't necessarily need to go, I'm having a nice time with Jesus by myself out, you know, out in nature. The rest of the world doesn't need to know that this is necessarily happening, right? Because this is what it means to retreat in the wonderful presence of Christ. Engage in his power. Retreat in his wonderful presence. Jesus wants you to get some good, honest kingdom rest. And so my, so my last words, and then I'll pray to make every effort to enter into that rest.